In planning the direction and form that MK would take, we considered four types of violent activities, sabotage, guerrilla warfare, terrorism, and open revolution. For a small and fledgling army, open revolution was inconceivable. Terrorism inevitably reflected poorly on those who used it, undermining any public support it might otherwise garner. Guerrilla warfare was a possibility, but since the ANC had been reluctant to embrace violence at all, it made sense to start with the form of violence that inflicted the least harm against individuals, sabotage. Because it did not involve loss of life, it offered the best hope for reconciliation among the races afterwards. We did not want to start a blood feud between white and black. Animosity between Afrikaner and Englishmen was still sharp 50 years after the Anglo-Boer War. What would race relations be like between black and white if we provoked a civil war? Sabotage had the added virtue of requiring the least manpower. Our strategy was to make selective forays against military installations, power plants, telephone lines, and transportation links, targets that would not only hamper the military effectiveness of the state, but frighten nationalist party supporters, scare away foreign capital, and weaken the economy. This, we hoped, would bring the government to the bargaining table. Strict instructions were given to members of MK that we would countenance no loss of life. But if sabotage did not produce the results we wanted, we were prepared to move on to the next stage, guerrilla warfare and terrorism. Comrades and friends, hello. Uh, this is Rob. This is your Highlands Bunker podcast. We are, as always, in the shadow of Rockford Tower, behind enemy lines, and in the belly of the Delaware Way Beast. Uh, in the studio tonight, uh, back on the show, but first time in studio, um, our, our friend and comrade, Hassani Perkins. Hassani, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm doing very well. Um, and we also have uh, Mr. Dan Aykroyd in here. Uh, the dog did not want to leave. Um, so he's uh, taking a nap uh, on the couch next to Hassani. Not next to me, on me. Yeah, yeah, he's doing what he, he's doing what he does. Um, Carl's here as well, and um, yeah, the, the 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 reason I wanted to have you in, or that we were talking about having you come back in, was to talk about sort of mental health and and healthcare in the prisons and afterwards specifically. Uh, and then a week or two ago, uh, I saw that another lawsuit had been filed uh, against the state for healthcare in prisons and not it not being adequate um and so and so here we are um what what what's what, what's your thoughts i know just in general these um lawsuits uh i know you have a lot of experience in in advocating uh, for this kind of stuff um, what, what's, what was your general feeling? I mean, this is obviously something that needs to be done. People need to be held accountable for, you know, not providing adequate care for people. Um, yeah. What, what was it like? What, 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 what was the state of healthcare for, for you and, and, and your friends when you were, uh, when you were inside? <laughs> the state of healthcare inside of prison. It's trash. And, um, so my first thoughts when this lawsuit came public was about time. You know, we had a lot of major issues with inside of prison with the healthcare that we see up front. 
We see it. This is our reality. You know, but for some reason, everybody outside of the prison just takes word of mouth. Just takes, like, whatever the government, whatever narrative they put out there, and they just takes that for what it is. And um, so we know that during COVID, when they set up a triage, we know that we had a whistleblower that exposed a lot of the stuff that was going on. So this should be a to no surprise and everything. I have a couple guys right here on the phone that's in prison right now that was there with me during the time of the COVID and when we had a, um, a whistleblower. So I, even though I am happy about the lawsuit coming out, but I watch people die because of their lack of compassion because they pit money over top of lives. You know, we, we, we literally seen this inside of prisons and not just because of COVID though. This happened, you know, deaths was happening way before COVID. You know, we spent, we, we spent time on trying to tell officers about people having issues, medical issues were ignored. And then when you do have a good nurse there, for some reason, they're outcast, they're bullied by the staff, and they're dismissed. And then there's a high turnover, as if this is like McDonald's or Burger King or something. Not only is it a high turnover with the employees, it's a high turnover with the provider itself. So, like, this is anywhere else, this would be unacceptable, right? You wouldn't be choosing for no health care for that. And then on top of that, they charge us $4 for a sick call visit, an additional $2, which is $6, if we get prescribed anything. And from my understanding, this pits no dent into the budget for health care. So what is this? It's an unnecessary burden, once again, for our family members while we're in prison to deter them from having this connection or disinvolvement with us. It's the same. It's the same thing to how they treat treat our family when they come to visits. Same thing with pitting outrageous prices on a phone for phone calls. It's the same thing. Same tactic they use, and they use it right there. For what? Yeah. Again, the thing that's horrible about that is, as you said, a, a four two dollars. You know, those sort of copayments are not. They're not meant to recoup any money. They're meant to you know, sort of punish you if you need to, if you need to call, you know, or if, or if they say that you need something. And, and so, you know, I, I don't, I guess my bigger question, and we were talking about this coming over because we were talking about Cheyenne Miller and what she has to say about the state services just for like unhoused people and the homeless population. There's this thought like, it's not necessarily, I, and I don't know, maybe it is a somewhat money, but it's more this idea that, we don't have to do anything for you. Like, and what we do is the bare minimum for the least people we need to. Now, if, if you're incarcerated, there's no way around it. We have to do something, but we're going we're gonna to make sure that it's like the least amount of things. You know, the, the, very, the very worst kind of stuff, you know. And, 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 it's a, and, and, there's, and, and, and people, because of the mindset, people just, they don't care. They don't. They don't care that it's subpar. Um, it's 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 really sad. Is it is it all is it is all contract? So 
this is all sort of, this is not necessarily the state of Delaware providing this, but the state of Delaware having a contract with people to provide some service for healthcare inside. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think, you know, there's, there's a number of experiences that people have personally with healthcare, especially inside. You know, um, we have an aging population inside. We have people with chronic illnesses inside and who are not getting the proper adequate care inside. And this becomes cost burden. Rather than fixing a problem at the top end, it becomes a burden at the bottom end and stuff. And like I said, I got guys on the phone right now that probably have some experiences with med uh, medical. And also medical not only controls the physical, but it controls the mental health department also, the provider that comes in. And the mental health department is always ostracized. Like, they're always put at the lowest priority inside of, inside of the prison, which, which kind of like is like, it's kind of like backwards. Because you put us inside of a situation where we're probably going to be more effective psychologically than physically. So you kind of will want to pit the mental health department at a high priority. Because what does that do? It keeps down the violence. It keeps down the negative thoughts that leads to suicides. It keeps down the, the isolation that people may, may have and then they're ready to pop. It gives, it, gives, it gives people the tools through cognitive therapy, through behavioral therapy, through emotional therapy, and through interaction, interactive journalism to come out better because truth is 90% of the population inside of prisons is going to return Back to your society. And then they're going to fall on, because of the lack of policies and the lack of oversight, they're going to fall into that population again that's getting ignored, the homelessness. So, like, this is a cycle. And this, this hopefully this lawsuit will open some things up that will, you know, rectify that. And I, like I said, I got a brother, um, Deion Gibbs, on the phone with me right now. And, yeah, have him, can, can you hold it up? So, Dion Gibbs, can you introduce yourself? Let us know a little bit of background, and um, and yeah, what, what, what's your experience um, like? My name is Dion Gibbs. I, um, I'm incarcerated at Sussex Correctional Institution. I've been here for 13 years. Um, I had multiple interactions with medical, mental health, and the staff alone um, over the, over that time period. I've worked with them. I'm part of the Lifers Group. I'm part of all the organizations that's in here that work with alongside with these people. And I 100% support what Hassani Parkins has been saying the whole time. I actually just had an incident with um, mental health just recently because one of their major um, overseers, Tracy Coleman, who passed away, rest in peace, she kept everything on a lid. But now that she's gone, mental health has been going down the drain. They don't even help people on their mental health stuff. I've actually been told to actually today what was my point of writing a, a mental health slip by saying I need to talk? And I was like, because I need to talk. I'm actually going through grief off of Tracy Coleman, who was in charge of mental health, her death, and nobody came around and said anything to the people who had um, a relationship with her uh, because she... I'm not gonna say she catered to people, but she was she was cordial with people. She was she empathetic with people. So she gave 
us a little bit more leeway of getting access to her for that type of situation. And now, now that she's gone, mental health is just going down the drain. So I, I expressed this to them, and they was like, well, I know she gave y'all leeway, but we don't have time. We working on the skeletons uh, staffing, so we don't have the time to do this. So what, do, what is your point? What do you want to come in here and talk about? So it dismisses my feelings and thoughts from the gate. And I was really feeling some type of way that I actually wanted to bring it up to the administration because I do have a little bit of pull uh, with them. So I was going to bring it up to the administration, but now that he, uh, my, my brother, Hassani Perkin, said that he was having this conversation with y'all, I wanted to put this on blast. Well, I appreciate it. Um, what do you think? Well, I mean, Hassani mentioned, you know, sort of this like the, the mental health side of the healthcare is sort of alienated, sort of bully pushed to the side. Um, I guess it's because what you said, you know, somebody working who's good at it, who's working to, to provide mental health support and services is going to be empathetic. You know, they're going to be they're going to be more open to what you guys have to say and all of that. Is that why is that looked is that like frowned upon? Is, is that is that sort of yeah, like marginalized? She, yeah, she would be ostracized and she would be ridiculed on a regular basis because she catered to us a little bit. You know what I mean? But she knew how to handle that. She handled that stuff like a grown woman, a professional. And she still did what she did. But now that that's gone, you know, they like I said, they out. They get the people that do the bare minimum to step up, and these are the people that you have to deal with now. And also to piggyback off of what Dion is saying, and as far as the grief, the grief situation um, with Tracy Coleman passing away, I want you to understand what, what we're talking about here. We've been, in, we, we've been down there, say, for 10 years, and I've known Tracy. I was in prison with Tracy, the person who bought things out of me that I never knew about myself, the person who I opened up to emotionally with when I was grieving a family member passing away, the, perfect, the person who directed me and bringing out what is best in me to apply that and try to live off of that and stuff passes away. And you hold no grief services to the population that she served. So like that in itself tells you what type of attitude that we're dealing with in a professional setting. And I think because this, like she, she did go above and beyond, but did she go above and beyond? No, what she did, she did was required of her, of her job. And being so that that is so foreign, we look at it as above and beyond. Because this isn't something that is done inside of there. We had an incident inside of there where, where Tracy uh, officer said that he would <clears throat> he would go to his car, get his Uzi, come back and shoot Tracy Coleman in the face. This is what he said out of his mouth in the in the, in the cafeteria full of full of us. This is what he said. And what, what prompted that? What, what prompted something like something well, what so it was, outlandish and re absurd? Well, well, what it was when we're at when we're in a chow hall and we're eating, there's no dialogue, there's no talking. So you hear all the talking coming from the officers. So the officers at that time they used this time as a stage. So they get to ridicule in certain uh, uh, certain convicts. They get to talking, uh, you know, talking about them and and saying what they are to see if it's those who have a different sexual preference 
or something like that. You know what I mean? They put all this information out in front of everybody with little jokes and stuff like that, belittling the person. Okay? Because you can't speak. Because you can't. Well, and and it's maybe because you can't speak, but just because they're assholes at the end of the day. Yeah, of course. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like everybody's got to listen to it because no one else is talking. Right. So it's it's like a performance. So yeah, it's a exactly. They, they just pick people out to belittle. And, and, exactly. But then you don't get, then you don't, so you get bullied and belittled in front of everybody. You have nowhere to go. And, you have nowhere uh, to go. And and so, and and with this, when when this was being said, one of the officers, he was like, man, you better calm down because they'll drop some sick call slips into mental health to Tracy. Well, they drop some sick call slips into mental health. And then the sergeant, who is the person that's in charge, the supervisor and everything, he says, um, he says, man, I like to get Tracy. I like to go to my car, get my Uzi and get uh, go to Tracy Coleman and shoot her in her face. Now, this was an issue. Because everybody in that cafeteria at that time, I told you how they, how we feel about Tracy now. Everybody in that cafeteria at that time wrote that up. And the warden, if Warden May had just came. And that shout out to May, good God. You, you good peoples. I mean, he got his stuff. He a cop at the end of the day. He got his stuff. I feel you know that. what I mean? But, but, May, but May was fair. He a cop at the end of the day, but May was fair. And Dion, I'm referencing the time when um, Sergeant... Uh, 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 Carver said that he would go and get an Uzi and do what? What do you do with the Uzi? Oh, kill every one of us. Nah, what he say? With, no, when the Uzi, when he made a preference to a certain person, he was in the cafeteria, and he said he go get a gun and he'll do what? He'll shoot Tracy Coleman. he shoot Tracy Coleman in the face. Oh yeah, he did. And and this is and, and this is a problem because even 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 with him. Because of his own staff held him accountable for that. Officer Purdy, officer, a couple officers held him accountable for that. So he was he was suspended. You know what I mean? And they came around and they asked Tracy, does she need an escort to her car and stuff like that? You know what I mean? Because this was a real threat. Had I said something like that? Now let me tell you an incident where they a letter Rosa had got written. And it, it either it either threatened somebody up at um, the attorney general's office, or I think it either threatened Lieutenant Morgan, the woman uh, Ray Morgan. They came they came and got us up at three o'clock in the morning. Wouldn't let us get dressed or nothing. Took us handcuffed us, took us down to the uh, gym, made us face the wall. Some of us is naked, talking trash to us with these big beanbag guns because of a letter. But this guy talks about shooting another staff in the face and gets suspended. And comes right on back, gets another building. He doesn't come back to the MSB building. He goes, gets the old boot camp building. He gets that building. The building that used to be boot camp, but you know how they shut boot camp down, right? Why did they shut boot camp down? Because the staff has, was having sexual relations with the females inside a boot camp. So let, let, let's be real about what's going on inside of the prisons. So, so you think they would care about health care? When, when they call a code, when there's something that goes down, say particularly a fight, okay, you're supposed to be taken to medical. And medical is supposed to see you before you go 
to uh, the hole or whatever like that. This doesn't happen. This doesn't happen. And then half of the medical staff is in is in what relationships with the with the correctional staff. There, there. Some of them is getting married now. Some of like so like how is this how is this panning out? Then we had Dr. McDonald. Then we had Dr. McDonald. Dr. McDonald, a lawsuit was a for what? Dr. Mc, Dr. McDonald was had a lawsuit for fondling people. This is the staff that they bring in here. This is the staff that they bring into this medical to take care of your loved ones. And then they wonder why we come home broken like we broken. This is part of it too. Because they because understand that when the provider comes in 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 the uh, correctional facility, the provider is just not about physical medical. The provider controls the mental health. The provider controls the groups that we attend, the cognitive therapy groups, the groups that are supposed to be examples and evidence to our change in order for us to qualify for a 4217 release that by law we're supposed to go up every 18 months. But that, but, but the, but the treatment administrator says that none of these groups are evidence based. So you bring a provider in that provides us with these cognitive therapy groups for our rehabilitation and habilitation, and then you say that they're not evidence based. So you're telling me that the provider isn't qualified? That's what you're. That's what I'm getting out of that. Am I right or wrong? Yeah, who knows what they're talking about? So, so this disqualifies us. I'm not even sure half the time what they're talking about. I mean, I, I'm actually as I'm, as you're speaking, and I'm trying to process like all of these different aspects of just the, the, of what the provider's doing, and and I I don't know. I don't know what if you ask the state like, what is your problem here? You you mentioned like, oh, we have a skeleton crew. Oh, you know, we don't have the people, the funding, all of this like. That's just that's just an excuse for the fact that we when when you're there I I I feel like and I, and I feel like this for people just getting any kind of state service it's like we don't care. We do not care. Uh it's 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 the minimum if you get the minimum it gets shuffled around and it's just Yeah, I mean the argument I always make and you said it yourself you're actually going to be better off when when you come out and and a healthier person, a happier person, you have more opportunity. That like that's what we should want to do. But we just cannot bring ourselves to give something to someone that we don't think deserve it. And 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 that that in itself is right there. That's right there. Like I I I really want to know is that public opinion? Because like like me getting out in the community and talking to people, people are shocked about the things that go on inside of prison. So I I would think that most people that I come in contact with has a heart. And if they know what is really going on, the honest truth, then they wouldn't settle for that narrative that keeps getting pushed out there. 
and stuff because like for, for me for instance I was diagnosed and I can't pronounce the name of it man I keep always forgetting I was diagnosed with something that produces too much blood in my body my red blood cells uh, produce so every six weeks I was phlebotomized wasn't I Dion I was taken down there and they took blood out of me 500 milliliters of blood every six weeks for seven years I've been home for two years in a month I have not been phlebotomized once. My, my primary care doctor says I have no trace of this. So what was these? Was, was I, was they Dracula? Like they was just taking my, like where was this going? Like you remember this, right? <laughs> they, they used to come get me every six weeks. Take my blood. 500 milliliters, take it out of me. It's like a 15, 20-minute process. I sit there with the two. I sit there and listen to them ridicule the people that's supposed to be on levels. And levels is the suicide watch. I sit there and listen to the medical staff along with the correctional staff talk about them. Look at his head. Look at him. Look at him. And they, they think that I'm a part of this. When they say, look at him, perk. I'm like, man, look at you. <laughs> Clown. Right? Hey, you know what I mean? That's how I used to feel about it and stuff. But but this is something that they, the medical department did to me. I got a scar on my neck. Richard Richard Katz was the the um the nurse practitioner. He recommended a certain surgery because my scar had keloid up, and this was from the assault that I I, I suffered in jail. So my scar was keloid up. He had recommended a, a certain procedure. They denied that procedure. So instead, they took me out for Cairo uh, 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 when they freeze it and try to take it off. So they took me out, froze it, then tried to take it off. It came back stronger. So then they took me out for steroid shots. Gave me 100, 100 a time for five treatments. Then came back stronger. So then they cut it off again, came back stronger. So then you know what they did? The procedure that... Richard Katz recommended four years ago. And the only reason why they did this procedure because it was a doctor down in John Hopkins came up and he wanted to write into a medical journal. So it was paid nothing. Nothing had to be paid. And I got it done at BB, uh, BB, BB Tunnel Vision right off of Route 24 down Rehoboth, Delaware, where they cut, off, they cut it off and then they performed radiation treatment rigorously for five days right after it. And that killed it so it wouldn't come back. And this was, the, this was the procedure that he... But instead, I had to go through all these surgeries, all these treatments for four years. Because they didn't want to handle that cost. I don't know how this would... I, I, I actually don't know how this would land on a regular person's ears. I, I know for me, like... People would say, again, that there's some sort of, like, cost we're trying to figure out a cost. To me, it's torture. It's, like, sadistic. Like, if, if, if somebody says, this is the procedure that we're going to do here, and somebody says, well, let's try X, it's cheaper. But to continually do it and do it and do it and get no result, this evasive, you know, you had already been assaulted, nearly killed, and 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 we have to go through this um, go through this process of of like uncomfortable, unnecessary, unproductive treatments 
For what? For what? You know, Wharton May, when he came into the prison, you know, I always say, you know, he's still a cop. But when he came in there, he, he stressed one thing. He stressed two things that I, that I liked. He stressed one, the first thing that he stressed, he said that by us getting sentenced to prison, that was our punishment. So meaning that it isn't your job to ridicule me, belittle me, and mistreat me. Because if you look at your oath and your training, you are actually there for my safety. That's what you're there for. Not to ridicule me. And then the second thing that he said, he talked about the juveniles that is incarcerated. If y'all didn't know that, yes, it's juveniles incarcerated in adult prisons inside of Delaware. And, and so he talked about these juveniles that was incarcerated. And he said that, you know, kids only know two things, have and have not. And he told us, remember what he told us? He said that they're going to have a little bit more than y'all. And y'all going to have to be okay with it. So he was just telling this to the adult population. And we was cool with that. Because these are babies. We're like, we, 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 we want them. All right, cool. We're okay with that. And those are two things that really stood out with me with him. And he came there and he, and he, and he did some things. He reformed some things when he came there. You know, they called the a preacher out of the White House. So you go figure. Racist, abusive. Yeah, you go figure. And so they used to always say that you would never get commissary in the White House. Well, he came in, he changed that. You get commissary in the White House now. The very spot where you think that you would need commissary the most, the White House is the pretrial. That's what it is. So the thing, this is where you would need your commissary the most. You would need your soap, your hygiene, because you're going to court. You would want to look presentable. But you got cats going to court with wool up in their hair from the blankets and all types of stuff because they didn't offer no commissary, stuff like that. And, and then they was getting beaten. Then you, you get cats done. And then they bring a medical staff there to look at you. And if it's too, if it's too much, they throw some milk on you. <laughs> they throw some milk on you. <laughs> they, 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 I guess that supposed to like stop the burning or whatever. They throw milk on you. It helps. <laughs> oh yeah, it helps. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> it now helps. that you say that, because like when you when you eat something really really hot, yeah, yeah, that's the only thing that'll, yeah, that that makes it that takes the acid away. Yeah, yeah, it it helps. But you know, like like I just said though, like a lot of the medical staff is in cahoots with them, and those who do come in and, and care, they get bullied, they get ridiculed, and they get pushed out. You know what I'm saying? So that's that's just that's just what happens. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the real that's the tell to me. I'm not surprised to hear it. I think it makes sense because when the when the culture is what it is, um, you know, people who, especially those who are meant to be more empathetic and more caring and offer that kind of service, they're going to be like, "Why are you doing that?" No, we're we're equipped to do. We're supposed to be doing the torture stuff, mm-hmm. not this stuff. And so, you know, I I but but what that what that does indicate. Is that they know that they're doing it. Yeah. yeah. Because people are in there doing something else. And because they're sort of bucking that trend, they need to be driven out. They need to be ostracized and they need to be bullied because they're not getting on board with this thing. But it shows you very, very clearly that they know what the fuck they're doing. Yep. Yeah, we watched a videotape of the brother was having the um episode in, in the in the cafeteria. And the staff 
medical staff clearly didn't know what she was doing. Right. Y- y'all remember what I'm talking about, right? I do remember, yeah. And stuff like, so like, I'm here, I'm in prison experiencing all this. Even when I got cut, I didn't go, they didn't take me. You see this wound, you think, where was I supposed to go? To a hospital, right? I never got taken out to a hospital. Never got taken out to a hospital. Jeffrey McCann slept next to me. Swallowed all types of objects. Because he was suffering mentally. He swallowed razor blades. Bolts and nuts. And stuff like that. Because of their lapse of getting him out to surgery in time. He died. He died. Stephen Junkins, stomach protruding all the way out here. Clearly there's a problem because they lack to get him out in time. He died. And these are people that they dislike. Brother had a rape offense, had cancer, only had a couple, couple whatever to live because all the red tape, he died right there. Because of your lack of awareness during COVID. Jackie Lovett died. Rossioli died. And these are people that, that slept in the building with me. Because they picked cost over top of health. Like there's, there's a real consequence to this. Like this isn't just like. Uh, another lawsuit in the state, another lawsuit against this. There's a real consequence to this. If you look back over the last 15 years, see how many providers bid it for the contract. They gave providers contract that had open lawsuits in other states. How do you do that? Yeah, I sent it to you. I was surprised. It's kind of like uh, sort of uh, normie shit, but the, the 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 comedian John Oliver actually did on his HBO show. He does do some long form journalism. I mean, it makes it funny, so you can watch it because it's always you know very disheartening. But just a few weeks ago, maybe we'll link to it in the show notes. Did a full thing about many states rolling through these different uh, healthcare provider operators. And then one will fail. Like one of them, and I and I wish I, I don't remember the details, but one of them just like renamed and reconstituted, and then they just hire that one back in. And when the next one, so they're that's just what they do. They're just cycling them in. That's they renamed themselves from Spectrum to Connections to this to that, and they renamed themselves. We're not dumb inside a prison. We know how to read. We can comprehend. We do understand what's going on. So I want to make that public announcement. Like, we're not no dummies inside of jail. We see what's going on. And I think, so they do this, they do this consistently, consistently, consistently. And they control every single aspect inside of the prison, outside of the security. And that's the scary part about this. They control every aspect inside of the prison, outside of security. When, when we was going through COVID, they, they remember they said a, a special mask lab. What was the N95? Okay. Down SCI, inmates couldn't wear N95s. We had to wear these cloth masks that was at mass production by inmates. What the?
the hell? Why can't an inmate wear an N95 mask? A nonprofit agency, a couple of them donated N95 masks to the prisons. Meek Mill and Jay-Z agent, uh, 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 donated masks to the prisons. And I know damn well they ain't donating them for no cops. Let's keep it all the way real on this joint. Like, I know damn well they ain't donating them for no cops. Well, Jay-Z might have. Meek Mill did never do that. <laughs> <laughs> Meek forgive, never do that. Forgive him, y'all, that he said that about Jay. <laughs> but anyway, so, but, um, but yeah, though, all jokes aside, like, why couldn't we wear an N95 mask? This is this is this gives you a glimpse into the culture. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing that really it's coming down to is there is a there's a culture and a mindset and it's rotten at the at the core of all of this. And it's like we're going to treat this population uh like they're not human. Like We'll just mass produce some cloth they can wear if they have to wear anything at all. We didn't really want them to have to do anything, but I guess we'll just do this. Like, that mindset uh, is, that's the biggest problem, I think. Like, we can, we're not very good at it, but hypothetically, in a democratic system, we could uh, persuade and elect people to spend more money on health care or something, you know, or just prisons in general, just the, sta- the standard of living, whatever. But the mindset, the rot in, in the middle of it, uh, with basically the subpar health care and the, I mean, I don't know what you want to call corrections officer. I mean, they're cops. They're, they're, they're like, like worse than cops, yeah. I mean, they're worse because it's just like you, 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 you know, you're you're just you have this captive audience that you can just intimidate at at at, at your at your will, and and nobody really, you know, you get a slap on the wrist. Oh, you get a week suspension or two weeks suspension or whatever. That's it. Like this is not. We, somehow we got to get to the to to the mindset that's like. That that there are people that don't deserve something. Yeah, and and you know, I say pigs and stuff like that, but no, wait, know, we some, I, this, some, is, this is a safe space. For yeah, that. some of the individuals, some of the individuals that wear the badges is okay, individually, but I still got to hold them accountable because they don't hold their peers accountable. That's the way right. They should be holding holding I, their peers accountable. Because you you asked me to do something that you're not capable of doing yourself, so um, so you know that attitude that is amongst the police officers, like they don't hold one another accountable, don't snitch attitude that you try to force on our communities to do, is it's beyond me. But let me let me make this clear that outside of all this. And, you know, because I'm pressed a little pressed for time. But outside of all this, the providers that come in, they're in charge of the, the 16 and 17-year-olds that are in adult prison. So if you don't care about us because we, you say that we're adults and we are responsible for what we do, understand what I just told you. 
they are in charge of the 16 and 17-year-olds that come inside of the jail. Every last one of them boys were prescribed psychological medication. Now, how the hell is that? Every last one of them was in the medical line. These are is, is your kids. Because they take a village. These are your kids. And they in, and they in there. 14 coming to prison, getting 10 years. And then going through this program called YCOP, Young Criminal Offenders Program. Coming through this program. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. If it ain't for the other convicts, the other inmates, they would not get what they need. We, we the ones that go above and beyond to make sure that they have what they need. We the one that breaks the rules to make sure they get what they got to get. We the ones that encourage them to go to school and get their diplomas. We the ones that set up incentive-based reasons for them to participate in education. We buy them bags of commissary. Other convicts, George Jackson and all them, other convicts, they devoted their life to these kids. People that was down 20, 30 years sat there and tutored these kids to make sure that they get a diploma. Was invited to their graduation and was proud to see them walk. Not the provider, not the staff, the other convict, the people that gets vilified, the people that you say that, ah, man, they deserve this. They the ones that's giving back hard to these young bucks. Hard. So you think about that, man. This provider that they, they allowed to put cost over health in charge of them young kids, man. And, that, and that's facts, man. And I called out names particularly because I want to let y'all know that this is facts. These is brothers that put in sweat, blood, and tears for these for these people. You know, we used to have we used to have a group called um we had one called Hope where we wrote the kids anonymous letters and we didn't do it like for glorifying, but we what we did was we told them a little bit about ourselves and our and our pain coming up so they can open up to us and it was anonymous and stuff. That was that one program and then I forgot what the other program was called, but it was created by Corey Twyman, the other program. And he let us all join. And, and this was their transition coming from the YCOP program into the general population. So he, he felt the need to hurry up and grab them before they were negatively influenced and stuff like that. And we had this, this program that he set in place, Corey Twyman and stuff person that went to jail from in the streets of Wilmington for a double homicide has become an interesting part of people changing their lives inside of jail. You know what I mean? Like them young bucks, they look up to him like he was very instrumental in their in their trajectory of their lives. And this is this is what the people is pitting into him. You know what I mean? Ali Madhul Wahab, like they they all pitting this stuff into these kids, man. Yeah, I hope that 
Well, first of all, I I, I agree with you uh, about cops. Uh, <laughs> I, and individually, and I say this because yeah, I mean I got fucked the police back there. Um, yes, I mean individually, some of them were probably very nice. Um, but that's not what we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, the only way we're going to get into that culture, and I understand, you know, people get bullied. It, it, it's, it's probably very hard, you know, when you have 10, 15 people you're working with, they're, they're, they're meatheads, they're assholes, they're, they're violent, um, they, don't, they have their own mental problems, they're taking it out on people, you know, and it's hard for, for good people to try to affect that kind of culture, but it has to happen. It ha- we have to, and, and again, this is, this is why at least these lawsuits will, will get some sort of, uh, some sort of light will be shine on this and say, look, you don't have to, if, if, you, if you are working in this system, you don't have to be a sadistic pig. You can be a regular person. You know, you don't have to play mind games with people or let people die in their cell for lack of treatment or make fun of them to other people or talk shit about them during a chow, all that stuff. You don't have to do that. You don't. Be- you don't, so, really. Uh, is, is Dion still on? Uh, nah, he's, nah, he's off. You're going to have to tell him that, th- that I that I appreciate that. I didn't know. I mean, I knew you were in contact with some folks, but I didn't know if we were going to be able to talk to anybody. Yeah, so yeah, I, I, I really that. appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. That's fun. And, and um, and, you know, I call them pigs, but I call them cannibals. Yeah. Because down, down SEI, they love pork. So pigs eating pigs. I call them cannibals. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you're pressed for time, man. I'm I'm very glad you could, you could come over and uh, – and hang out with us um, as these things go through, and 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 you you start to um, like do more in in the community and and the advocacy community. I mean, come back in. We'll keep doing this. I mean, the only thing we can do um, is, is 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 try to put it on blast. You know, try to support the people, whether they're doing these lawsuits, whether it's like Cheyenne trying to get people housing uh, or whatever. We have to get behind all of this. And when people choose to sort of do this kind of stuff, just put as much weight as you can behind it and, and see where it goes. I mean, it, it seems pretty bleak. I mean, I'm, I don't have to tell you. I'm sure that, you know, playing yeah. out your sentence every day probably didn't feel very good. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I'm out here now, so hold down the superheroes. You know, hold down Hanif. Hold down Cheyenne. Hold down my man Carl. Hold down the superheroes. You know what I mean? The people that's pitting and pitting and working out there, man. Hold them down, man. Like get at them, man. They they really out there. I listened to Hanith the other day about the residency law. Like yo, listen to him, man. Hold this stuff down for him, man. Like you know, I'm just ready to ride. And about about a person being an individual that got a badge on, if you if you a coward and can't hold your peers accountable, I don't need you to serve and protect me then. Coward? Ain't no excuse. I got to agree with you. Well, folks, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, very much appreciated. I know this wasn't this wasn't the, uh, the the fun one that we sometimes do, but I think it's extremely important. Uh, we we will be getting to some to some fun stuff uh, very soon. Uh, we have some old periodicals that we've come across that we're going to do a reading series on. That's going to be very fun. 
um, our friend and comrade Kirsten Walther wrote an essay for the Delaware Call, and um, you know a lot of like men's rights activists are very upset about it, and like amateur magicians, um, folks like that. Uh, so that's going to be very funny. We'll cover that, and we'll continue to cover all of these local topics. Um, look, I know you're getting mad about it, but this is this is as as Hassani said, this is what it is. This is the truth. These are facts. And so if, 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 you, if you think this is not appropriate, the way that we're, as, as you said, the way we're treating our children in prison or the way we're treating prisoners or the whole outlook we have on how to rehabilitate people, um, yeah, start talking about it. Because um, unless there's a big change in mindset, uh, we're going to continue to see um, just pain. Um, and it's, 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 it, it doesn't need to be this way. We can do it differently. So, Hassani, thanks a lot, man. No problem, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, and you know what we say? Philistine Huda left his best.